Hello, and welcome to the Hello. Leaders... Sorry? Hello? Hello? Yes, I was, I was just starting the show. So if we have a, a five-second pause, I'm going to do the introduction of the show, and then uh, we're, we'll greet each other. Okay. Okay, from now. Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast but pleasant day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Charles Watkinson, Chief Executive of Coracote. Charles, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, well, we might as well jump straight in. What is your personal leadership style? Um, I like to lead from the front. I, uh, I like to uh, be firm but friendly with my staff. And uh, I think uh, that it's important that you have a clear direction of what you're traveling and knowing what it is that you're trying to achieve. And with your staff, uh, do you have a, a quite a, a mentoring mindset with them, or do you have a, a set path that you expect them all to uh, go down? Um, neither of those, really. Um, we work together as a team. Um, mentoring, uh, yes, of course, some of that does take place. Also, um, I like to listen to people and to understand what it is that they're wanting to achieve and how they can help the company achieve its aims. But at the end of the day, I think it's necessary not to allow too much discussion uh, to end in prevarication. Now, you manage quite a large uh, staff. Uh, Are there unique challenges involved in that endeavor? Um, of course, there are challenges in handling stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Human beings always present challenges, and uh, uh, sometimes that is difficult to, to manage. Um, I have been known to say, if only there were no people, only robots <laughs> from time to time. Um, but, uh, of course, we can't do without the people, and uh, uh, we need to keep them on board. Uh, sometimes that's difficult. Um, sometimes people can become downright obstructive. Sometimes people uh, get personal problems that affect the way that they work. Um, all of those things that uh, we experience in everyday life happen in business too. And when you have those issues crop up, do you have a, a particular way of dealing with them? Or is it on a case-by-case -case basis? Oh, always on a case-by-case -case basis. You can't um, just slot people into boxes that are always instances that uh, um, you are, you can be sympathetic and that you try to help people. Um, there are cases when uh, simply people uh, are not behaving in a proper way, uh, being obstructive, and they simply don't need to work for us. Now, you have a, a rather unique uh, business, and especially uh, recently you uh, provided uh, your services for the uh, the Royal Research Ship uh, Sir David Attenborough, formerly known as Bodie McBoatface. Uh, can, yes, can, it's a pity they didn't call him that. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us a bit about that and how uh, your, uh, your leadership was able to uh, secure that process? Um, well, we, uh, we got an order to do that work. Um, that was achieved by one of our salespeople going and uh, 
telling that, but we've worked for that particular uh, division before. Um, and it, it was a, a, a run-of-the-mill job. There was nothing special about it. But um, we were delighted to send some of our uh, staff along to the launching as, um, uh, as a reward for the work that they put in during the year. And, of course, it must be very important to reward your staff for the excellent work that they do. Um, do you feel uh, that it's important to recognize uh, staff's achievements in order to be able to keep them on pace? Um, yes, it is. It's always good to tell people they've done a good job. Um, but we don't, I personally don't believe in bonus systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we don't uh, try to encourage people with uh, financial incentives. I think they become um, just run of the mill and very shortly after they're introduced, I think that they don't uh, act as an incentive anymore. They simply become the norm mm. and even more is expected. But I think it's very important to recognize stuff and to say, yes, you did this um, and you did a good job uh, and to thank them for being able to do um, good work in the company. Now, I'm sure that when you were starting out uh, in uh, your working life, there must have been a, a leader that you either worked for or with that's had an impact on the way that you operate the business today. Can you tell me a bit about that? Oh, my goodness. I, uh, I can remember starting uh, at part-time in a garage, and um, the uh, foreman, in the workshop telling me that I must make sure I did work correctly because it was very important because people's lives may depend upon it. Mm. And um, I can remember um, that he showed me how to fit some springs connecting brake shoes for the brakes of a car and him telling me how important it was I fitted them the right way around. Otherwise, they might rub on uh, the uh, hub and the spring might wear out and it could cause a problem. So he showed me how to do it. Um, I said, yes, I understood. And I went to the other side and I fit the springs and I fitted them the wrong way around. <laughs> and this this man, he came and he said, um, you told me you understood. Look at this. Um, you, I'm responsible for this. If this car goes out and there's an accident, I'm responsible. He said, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And he picked me up and he took me outside and he threw me in the tire bath. And it was the middle of November and probably about four degrees. Um, I can't imagine anybody doing that to a member of staff these days. Oh, absolutely not. But, but, but you, you might imagine um, that taught me a lesson. And it stuck in my mind that always I want to do things correctly. I can't mm. accept anything that uh, is not quite right. It has to be correct. And our company always has that motto that uh, uh, near enough is not good enough. And uh, we we try to do everything in a correct and proper way. So although unorthodox, it sounds like the message of attention to detail got through uh, and is uh, perpetuating into uh, your staff today. Um, We are unfortunately running short on time. But before I let you go, uh, what has the uh, next 12 months in store for Coracote? Um, we are continuing to expand. We're continuing to do research and development, uh, uh, to bring new products to market. Um, 
as uh, for the last few years or for several years, um, the future's still good. Well, Charles, frankly, I could speak with you all day, but unfortunately, it's time that we uh, move on. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much look forward to uh, speaking with you again in the future. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That was Charles Watkinson, Chief Executive of Coracote. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post. What are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership are going to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, Uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms Mm. of Uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power 
of the big tech, tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know, is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time... Uh, as Home Section in government. Um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children. By inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech 
the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities... They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper. And I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you. They compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game. Well, everyone knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. It can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again yeah, well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um <laughs> but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, 
he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new mm. prime minister large majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in i, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief that you believe in it and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, these all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Casson especially is that um, it takes and talks to people again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you, you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they... they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education 
and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, in the very uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour Leadership Contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January. And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019 uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Kia on on the, um, the the next few months I think that the government will probably do quite well I I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. 
And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.